Well, welcome to a new edition of our Outside View. <clears throat> we were on a bit of a summer hiatus, and now we're back. And of course, there's a lot going on. And as you know, we broadcast out of Bloomington, Indiana. And Bloomington, Indiana has, like many towns, cities, counties around the country, has a farmer's market. That's actually been in business for oh, over 20 years. I don't remember exactly how long. And of course, there are a lot of vendors and a lot of uh, people who shop there and it's very important to the community and it's been sponsored by the city of Bloomington Parks and Rec. And it, it came to the attention of, I have a couple of guests here with me today, and it came to a, the attention of some of the people that one of the vendors was a member of, I have to look up the number, it's now called the American Identitarian Movement, which was formerly the Identity Europa. They're white supremacists, and a lot of people, because this is a diverse town, well, it tries to be a diverse town, um, a lot of people were very upset about having them there because they are a threat to people of color, many marginalized groups, and so this has kind of snowballed, as issues do, and now the city has put the farmer's market on a hiatus for two weeks. That's not going to solve the problems of inherent racism in this community. It does maybe alleviate a little tension for the farmer's market that's being sponsored uh, privately for the next, I think, couple of weeks. But here to really talk about it, somebody who has been a vendor and um, is very active in the younger, the younger people's movement and what's going on on campus and in town is Abby Yang. She's a community organizer and a PhD candidate at Indiana University, and she started No Space for Hate Bloomington to educate and combat white supremacy in the Bloomington community, and that's a big order, trust me. And then Janine Bell is here with me. She is a legal scholar and a Richard S. Melvin Professor of Law at IU Mara School of Law. So welcome, both of you. Thank you. Just Thanks to clarify, for having me. Yes. Just to clarify, I'm not a vendor. I'm a concerned community member. Oh, okay. You've never been a vendor. Vendor, being a vendor is a lot of work. I have friends that have been vendors for years, and I know part of their income is based on this yeah. uh, throughout the year. And so it, it's very important, but it's important on a much larger scale. So Abby, if you would talk about what really got you started, you're not, you're here in the graduate PhD program, you're not a native Bloomingtonian, like I don't, most of us aren't. Um, what really made you want to start this organization? So it kind of came together as a coalition of a number of concerned community members, sort of loosely formed uh, right around the time that this um, that Schooner Creek Farms alliances or allegiances were exposed. And that was about two and a half, maybe like two and a half months now. Um, I wrote a letter to the city in the beginning of June bringing the concern to them. And it was co-signed by around 250 community members and about six to eight organizations saying that white supremacy is not welcome in this town. And so we immediately started the process, a group of us, some of us have close ties, closer ties with the city, working with city government, some of us are community members and activists, some of us are involved with IU, some of us are students. So it's really a range of people, a range of viewpoints as well, coming together because they're concerned about the presence of white supremacy, the possibilities for white supremacist recruitment, especially as school starts and also to challenge the idea that Bloomington tries to, like you said, Bloomington tries to be diverse, but it's, there is a long way to go in terms of actually being inclusive and 
ha- even having the farmers market be an inclusive space. I've always said if you have to talk about diversity, you don't really have it. Um, and I, they've been talking about it. I mean, I was at IU for 33 years. And uh, I worked with the diversity office. I worked with the Black Culture Center. I was in the African Studies program as a student advisor. I, I have been involved in this for years and years. In the last few years, I haven't been. And all of a sudden, this picked up again. And I thought, good, I'm glad that there are people that are activists that this is happening. Because this community, and people only think about you know, IU and the town. Mm-hmm. They don't think about the outlying community of Monroe County. And, and there's a lot of racism in this, in this town. I was shocked when I came here. Absolutely stunned when I came here. Um, so, you know, I, I, I hope this, this makes people aware of what's going on, but I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I, I would like to ask Janine what can be done in a legal sense because, you know, I think, well, I know that there's freedom of speech. People have a right to believe what they believe and to even speak as long as they're not causing any harm to anyone. But still, when somebody is part of an organization or has a philosophy that is a threat to other people, it seems that government has a responsibility to protect everyone. Well, the government is the only entity that's bound by the First Amendment, right? The First Amendment is a a sort of prevention from the government, uh, uh, on the government, from treating individuals who say um, uh, particular things that, um, you know, that are offensive to others, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, it's a prohibition on the government. So um, it's not a prohibition on um, individuals at all. So individuals, of course, can speak um, in opposition to someone else's views. Um, the government's role is to not show preference for any particular uh, viewpoint. And that right? puts like the mayor in a difficult position because the mayor can come out in defense of diversity and marginalized groups and, and uh, he can even come out against uh, white supremacy, right. but can't really enact anything. Is well, that correct? In his personal capacity, he can sort of uh, be against white supremacy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and has uh, made lots of statements that suggested um, that he is uh, very opposed to the ways in which uh, neo-Nazi organizations, um, their philosophies, and all sorts of things, very from the very beginning, mm-hmm. right? As um, soon as this uh, um, was exposed, right? Um, the government itself, right, cannot do anything that discriminates um, against the group, right, mm-hmm. um, including withdrawing a benefit mm-hmm. like a space at the market um, sure. because of the group's uh, viewpoint, um, uh, because of the ties of the particular uh, vendors. Now, that being said, actions are entirely different. So for instance, if the organization is discriminating against uh, particular uh, vendor, uh, particular customers, mm-hmm. right? Um, if they are treating some customers um, differently, and I have uh, suggested that um, given the information that the city has received, uh, regarding um, issues of discrimination, uh, they need to uh, do some fact-finding. 
have people actually been discriminated against by this group, by the, this vendor, this particular vendor? So, Abby's better able mm -hmm. to speak to that. Uh, there were a few people who said that they had been discriminated against but have been afraid to come out. But, um, and it's too bad that Brandy and Monica can't be here in person because uh, about a week ago, and I think it was the July 26th, 27th weekend, um, Brandy, uh, so Brandy Williams is Latina and she owns Primarily Inspired Eats. And I'm sharing this, of course, with her permission. Monica Billman is a Latina as well. She is the co-owner of Gold Leaf Hydroponics. Okay. And the third is uh, someone who owns Cezanne Mexican Cuisine. They're all okay. Latina vendors. They're right. all women of color. And all at that same weekend, they all woke up in the morning to receive a review on their page from Sarah Dye's personal page. And the review to their site said, oh, it was a positive review. It said something to the effect of, oh, we're just so, um, I'm just so happy to always like see you at the market and shop at your stand or something like that. And they all were, they all felt it was extremely intimidating to, for the three Latina vendors. And so we started going through the different pages. Mm -hmm. Once it was brought to our attention, we started going through different pages of other vendors. No other vendors had received reviews. It was only those three, and it was only the three. Like Latino they're being vendors. targeted with kindness. Yeah, and yeah. it was very off-putting. Yes, very off-putting <laughs> that she specifically picked those three out, and no, no other vendors. Um, I don't know exactly what the city can do about about that. I know it's been brought to the attention, at least, of Marsha Veldman and of the mayor. But since the reviews were positive, it's like it's such a weird thing to wake up to. It's like well, I would think so if you didn't really know this person and never interacted with them, and all of a sudden you get this kind of thing. So that they're it's almost like they're trying to cover their bases. So they say, "See, we didn't do anything wrong." But I mean, yeah. like I said uh, earlier when I was talking to you before we started uh, the program is um, I'm not surprised that there are white supremacists in Brown County. I, when I was first in Indiana, I lived out there for about five years, and I was terrified. I've never been so terrified. I grew up in big metropolitan areas, and I was terrified living out there, and I couldn't figure out why at first. I mean, I could see that it was all white, but, you know, I'd kind of seen that in Indiana anyway. And I felt that I, I just felt so uncomfortable, and then I realized... Uh, that there was a lot of Klan activity in Brown County, and at, this was in the 70s. Okay, and um, I one day I lived on a road that was just very deserted. Nobody went down that road unless they lived right at the top of the hill, and there were only like three houses in mine. And one day, this whole stream of cars, like 15 or 20 cars, went by my house, and they all stared at me, and they they were all I could just tell, they were just in trying to intimidate me basically. Well, I had nine dogs. <laughs> and the dogs were out there just going crazy. But that's the kind of thing that, that I felt out there um, all the time. And so I wasn't surprised to hear this. I don't know these people, and I'd, I'd never heard of this, really, this farm before because I don't go to the farmer's market. But um, I, I wasn't surprised, and it's been around here. We've had, you know, Klan tried to come and parade in Bloomington over the years. I don't know how long you've been here. Uh, but Bloomington actually... They ran into the same thing is that yes if they have a legal permit you have to let them come in march but they didn't show up every time they didn't show up now and they listen to this podcast they might next time who knows but I, I, it's always been kind of used like just um ignore them don't show up don't create a scene don't get into the news coverage don't give them any attention at all but that doesn't ultimately solve the problem of people's safety 
Right. And and having this 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 element out here all the time that that you know is there and that you're afraid of it. And actually, Monica gave me permission to read this. She put it on, posted it on her Facebook, but she gave me permission to read this. And I think this statement, if you don't mind listening to this, is very, it's very effective. She said, I'm calling on my city to be here for me. The presence of white supremacists at the Bloomington Farmer's Market are not allegations, they are fact. Vendors like myself have been completely disregarded in the decision to keep a known white supremacist in our community. Acts of violence broke out during the 2018 market season for the same reasons we are now protesting on city property. What is it in white culture and privilege that they never actually try to step into the shoes of a brown person to make them think about what our day is like in comparison to a white person's? Simple, they don't have to. If you read, um, if you read about the immigration camps, minorities being shot by the police, and you skip to the next article, you don't get it. If you're not home awake at night in fear about being a target for agents of hate, you don't get it. It's time to change the narrative. It's time for every white person out there to hear. If you're not helping the community progress, you are, not, you are part of the problem. For three years now, my husband and I have sold at the market. We are one of the few minority women-owned businesses at the market and one of the few that have a, a brick-and-mortar location. The fact that the city's solution to try to end this tension was to cancel the market for two weeks is baffling. I emphasize with the market coordinators and their city officials for their decision to keep vendors and patrons safe. What I'm not okay with now is the huge loss of income for many and the fear that still lingers among us who have brown skin or are not pure and white. Those are the beliefs of the neo-Nazi white supremacist vendor known as Sarah Dye from Schooner Creek Farm. Their ideology, whether secret or not, is never okay. To spew hate and believe you're superior than any other race gives anyone the right to challenge you and ignore your toxic toxicity because sadly it spreads. The Bloomington Farmer's Market is now tainted with hate from people who actively recruit members. Yes, this happened to my friend in person. So for Sarah Dye to try to hide behind her alt-right allies, who happen to be her new source of income, is simply disgusting. Like one of my best friends said to me at a time when I was feeling like the whole world was against me, it takes extra courage to fight for justice when evil has its eyes right on you. The overwhelming support this Nazi farm lady has received is jaw-dropping. To think that in a place like Bloomington there could ever be this type of ideology, and yet here it is slapping us in the face, makes me think we deserve better than that for our community. Please, 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 if you're white and reading this, educate yourself on how you can show solidarity with us. Go out of your way to understand the amount of privilege you're actually experiencing every waking moment in your career and among your peers. It'll surprise you how much easier life is for you than for someone like me that is constantly being judged solely based on the color of my skin. I think it's a powerful statement. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. absolutely powerful and, of course, right on. Right, and really well written. Very well written. Oh, and I think... I think it, it does need to make people think, but, you know, we're in the majority county community that's white. I don't know how to wake people up. I've been trying for years to get people to, to emphasize, emphasize or to take that one step. Just take one step and see what it might feel like to be discriminated against. And then people will look at me and they'll say, well, you know, um, I've had a hard life, too. I have things happen to me. Well, it's not the same. It's not the same thing. <laughs> um, but... We, I, I wanted to focus on, on the legalities of what can be done because like you were saying about government and as opposed to individuals. Now, if they take the, the market totally private all the time, right. that private can be done. All the time. Right. That can be done, but it doesn't solve the major problem. It's going to come up again in another area, another venue. It's going to be, it can even create more hostilities. The, and and I, I'm not 
sure how successful the market will be um, entirely as a private um, entity. The uh, current uh, market space is a gathering uh, place for individuals. Mm -hmm. um, 10,000 people, that's the figure um, I heard, come to the market. Um, the, um, in the current location. Mm -hmm. Over the um, summer? Each or each um, week? Each, uh, each week. Oh, that's a lot um, of people. That's so <laughs> this is uh, an important space with respect to revenue for the uh, vendors mm -hmm. who are there. Um, and it was an important um, uh, place for many residents um, who attend the, um, attend the market. So I find it, um, I would find it surprising if markets um, wherever would be, um, uh, in private spaces, would be as successful as the um, long-standing Well, market, probably because right? they'd be located, different locations. Like, I could see now that, that the, the, the Schooner Valley, the Schooner Farm people, Schooner Creek Farm people, um, set up their own so that there's all these white supremacists there supporting them. So there's one. And then there's the one at Blooming Foods. And then somebody else gives a space. And people are not going to like drive all around town to go to right. all these different no. ones. So it's no. really going to no. break up. Right. Yeah. Someone right. called it a scavenger hunt. Exactly. Right. That sounds um, very good. <laughs> right. It, so it will be um, difficult um, for um, individual uh, vendors. Um, it will be not the same community it, uh, gathering place, the mm -hmm. extent to which um, the um, market was a community um, gathering place um, and will, you know, sort of not have the effect. Well, you know, I wonder, how, I don't know if you have suggestions on how to, how to stop this, how to fix this. I mean, it's coming from the top in the White House, this division, mm -hmm. this divisiveness. And, it, you know, I, I guess you can say that in some sense, the Bloomington community did kind of coexist a little better. Now people feel uh, more in, emboldened to step out and to be very vocal and, and, and rude about what they think or feel or whatever. Um, there was always the underlying racism, always here. Um, I was stunned by it when I first, because I moved from Brown County to Bloomington and it was better, but still. Um, and. I don't know how, you know, we, obviously the elections are coming up. We have to turn government around and make some serious changes from the top. But this divisiveness is playing right into their hands. The, I mean, I'm a long time, the part of the reason I'm here is I'm a long time scholar of hate crime. Mm -hmm. um, I've been in this community for nearly 20 years. Okay. Um, writing about hate crime, uh, writing about the First Amendment, writing about uh, policing-related issues. Um, and I'm not surprised by the presence of, you know, organized groups at all. Mm -hmm. Extremists, you know, um, extremists have um, long been in Indiana. Indiana mm -hmm. has an extremely dark history um, with respect to extremism. In fact, Mm -hmm. um, though we um, think the current moment um, is bad, in the 1920s, um, the, the membership in the Ku Klux Klan 
roughly a third of white men were members of the Ku Klux Klan. Yes, and they were all government men. officials in the state. And there were uh, government <coughs> officials um, in the state, um, as you say. So this is not um, something that is either foreign to Indiana or foreign to the United States as a whole. Um, and I study contemporary hate crime. Mm -hmm. So this is not something that um, has gone away. Right. Um, the current moment um, is a troubling one for the increase in extremist activity, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so you now have extremist groups that are on the rise um, and openly recruiting uh, individuals and we're not really helped by the First Amendment um, in that's this what I was context. thinking yeah. <clears throat> that's yeah. what we I've been thinking not helped by the First Amendment though uh, you know many uh, scholars in this area say, oh the First Amendment the first thing they always throw out is that the First Amendment protects your right to say what you want to say. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that um, should be clear about extremist groups is they don't just talk, they act. Yes. Um, well, and there's so many more people armed now right. than there used to be. And then the three percenters <coughs> at the market last week. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, they act, right? Um, mm -hmm. They act under cover of night. Mm -hmm. um, and they target individuals, right, with violence. And it surprises me in a community that has had such troubling experiences with individuals who are extremists mm -hmm. that people would be as blasé about the presence of individuals who have really violent views. Mm -hmm. I know. It, it's it not, it's not, you know, the, mm -hmm. the views of the extremists, they're called extremists for, for a reason. Um, they're interested in doing harm to individuals, Absolutely. excluding them from their community. It's not just that they don't like you. Right, it's not just right, that. Yeah, no, it's not, it's, you know, I don't want to have you over to dinner. Right. It's, no. Um, I want to kill you. Right. It's violent. I want to torch you, whatever. Right? And, and we've had, in, we in Bloomington have had a violent, deadly experience with this. And it surprises me that we're doing the same things right? We're taking the same, mm -hmm. a similar approach uh, to what we did 20 years ago. I know. If you which talk, is, I know. It, it, didn't, yeah. it, it didn't work that time. No. Well, it doesn't work. But you see, people don't want to step out of their comfort zone. I think they think, oh, well, we'll have change. Well, change is needed. Change is good. And some people are left behind with change. But I think, they're, I think, I think most people are just afraid. I don't know. I they just don't want to step. They don't want to lose. They think they'll lose something if they, you know, or maybe their neighbors won't like them anymore or something like that. But, you know, I I when I was here when what, the uh, 
what was he, Japanese, Chinese, was Korean. shot? Korean. Korean. Okay, I, I can't remember. It was the 4th of July. I was right. at the parade on a float <clears throat> and when all that happened. So we were downtown, and I remember how afraid everyone was, how absolutely terrified. <clears throat> but then it kind of just went away. You know, Bloomington hate Bloomington United. United thank you. <clears throat> they started up, but you know they put signs in the window. Okay, mm-hmm. they're um, signs. Yeah, I mean we have signs, but we don't. I, I don't know. I worked at at, at IU trying many many times to have panel after panel of people coming together and talking and working things out, and you know it works for the moment. It works for the moment with maybe a small group of people, but it doesn't carry over. And I, I just think because people, there's such a separation between town and gown, and I think that happens in almost every college town, but I think it's pretty heavy duty here um, from what I see because I'm out in the community more now than I was when I was at just at IU. And it's really, it's really a, a cynicism and uh, a hatred and oh well the liberals are here and we're over here and you know we're never going to come together what are suggestions you're very young a lot younger than me and um what what are your suggestions to try and and do what hasn't been done successfully in the past some of it has to come from leadership that's elected leadership some of it has to come there for sure Here, here's what I saw. So I uh, gave a talk a few years ago, um, Kansas. I'm occasionally invited to speak um, in places that um, that have had difficult uh, oh, yeah. situations, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I went to high um, school in Kansas City. Um, so. <laughs> I was invited to come and um, give a talk um, out in Kansas, and it's the same town that the Koch brothers are yes. um, are from. Uh, they're also known for President Obama's mother is also from that town, mm-hmm. right? Same, you know, little town. And one of the things that uh, they have, uh, I saw postered, flyered in the town. First of all, this particular, uh, the library sought and received a grant to get individuals to fly fly people out and have them um, give talks. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe um, this was called Candid Conversations. So I spoke to 250 ordinary residents mm-hmm. um, on the evening that uh, they had me out giving this conversation about policing. Um, there had uh, been several uh, sort of police, uh, police-related um, issues. So they, um, someone's job, uh, it was a job of someone in the library to search for, find me, um, and have me out. So this was the um, this was something that this uh, particular town um, did, and it was incredibly well attended by mm-hmm. uh, people in the. Uh, I've never done anything like that in Bloomington, right? No. Um, despite no. the fact that this is a very yeah. sort of liberal um, town. And don't ever step out of the university. We have those panels within the university and with students. But, and maybe that's not even happening as much as it used to there. The, no. 
There, there, I, I have been asked mm-hmm. um, to talk to large audiences um, at the university, mm-hmm. right? Um, but this was a community conversation. Sure. These were, though I spoke on the grounds of the university there, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, it was not, and, and it was not a university crowd either. Uh, there were many questions from the audience, and I, you know. Um, right. uh, I also spoke the next day to 500 high school students mm-hmm. about eradicating differences and bridges and uh, building bridges between individuals of different um, backgrounds. Um, I've not ever... Ben no one to in the do school any of that system, here. No one in the school system has ever reached out um, to me to ask me to sort of speak. Now, to now the back students. in the early '90s, and this has nothing to do with race directly, uh, the LGBT movement was uh, we we organized and did. Pre- I did presentations at South High School. I did presentations at North High School. Never asked by the community to do any anywhere. And of course, we did the radio show, so we did a lot of talking on right. the radio show. Right. Right. But I don't know how many people listened from the right. community. You know, I knew right. friends did, and, and, and my family's friends did, and that kind of right. thing. And some of the university did, but um, I don't, you know, actually, we had a broader audience around the country than we did actually locally. Right. Right. And, but we were never asked to really step out of that box and to, as you're saying, really have community forums and have community. You know, community. You know, presentations by various people about what's going on, and it doesn't happen in in out in the counties around here or anything. Well, one of the things that most impressed me about this particular community is that they were having these community conversations. There was a series of dinner uh, talks, mm-hmm. dinner, you know conversations. Mm -hmm. You'd all go to dinner at someone's um, house. You were mixed. You'd sign up for this. You were mixed by uh, maybe politics, maybe background, whatever. Um, So not too many at a particular um, individual's house. More intimate, though. Right. And there were conversations Mm -hmm. um, and um, over dinner. And the way I learned about this is uh, because I saw a flyer. I could not believe. Um, and it's that sort of interaction mm-hmm, that makes a difference. Um, that ultimately is going to uh, make a difference. I agree. I agree 100%. We, we tried very hard at the university. I don't know, were you here when Steve Burdine was here as the diversity director? No. I loved Steve Verdine. I still stay in touch with him. He was very, very right on, very, very right in your face. Got the students. He had so many student followers and people that were listening to him, and not all people of color, you know, everything. Well, he was rocking boats. Right. So he was gone. Right. Yes. And that's what I've seen over and over and over again in this community. And so... You know, the only thing I can say about this that's happening right now is, yes, it's, it's, but it, it, it's just aligning people again on their sides instead of people coming together, I think. It's like, like she says that she has a lot of white supremacist support that Sarah died. And um, 
then don't you think liberals, the Democratic Party's doing this right now, having trouble really coming together instead of fighting with each other? The, um, and I, I want to be clear about the fact that I find liberals as unwilling to step out of their comfort zones yes. Oh, yes. Yes. as mm-hmm. individuals who are, you know, alive differently. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, the smugness Yes, we're right. That the smugness and the refusal to engage and the refusal to question and the defensiveness. I'm not talking about mm-hmm. Republicans here. Oh, I know. I'm talking mm-hmm. about liberals that I know and I see and engage with every day. It's because they buy into their own personal belief system that, well, I, I don't feel this way. I'm not racist. I'm not this. I'm not that. And so, you know, I'm, I'm cool. Right. And I keep on having these conversations <clears throat> ever since this has been brought to people's attention. It's like, oh, no, this is Bloomington. This couldn't happen here. And I'm like, and of course, all of us know that that's not the case. But even like um, people in positions of power, uh, let's not mention names, who say like, you need to keep the conversation on civility or like, you need to be civil. Don't yell at me. Like, and I'm like, I'm not yelling at you. And I'm adamant. Yeah, I'm like assertive. Assertive. I'm and not adamant. yelling like, at you I'm to be. Yelling. Yes. And <clears throat> just like the amount of you know scolding that I got at the farmers market simply for passing out a flyer or asking people to pass out flyers I said, aren't you actually the hateful ones here? And I said, are we the hateful ones, or are the white supremacists the hateful ones? The, and and I am, I get it. I mean, people's lives, most people's lives in this town are fiercely monochromatic. Mm-hmm. We know that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this is not to say that people in Bloomington um, are any different than people anywhere else. Oh, no. I'm not suggesting <laughs> that people in Bloomington are different than people I study. Um, I've written a book about housing integration. There's plenty um, of towns just like and it. mixing and uh, <clears throat> racial mixing. So, you know, the uh, social networks of most white people in this country are, according to uh, survey research, 94% white, mm-hmm. right? Yes. This is the way, you know, the most of America is. And Bloomington is not different. So if, you know, we're talking about the experiences of people of color, then we're talking about, and, and I cannot tell you how, as a woman of color, I'm treated um, as a woman of color with tons of status, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is treated um, in this town. Dismissed. Dismissed. It, it's, it, it's just there's a dismissiveness even if people are being polite. Right. It's very oh, subtle. It, it's it, you know. Yes. Teacher, you're a teacher. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know that feeling, and and you you're looking at me, and I'm not black, but I'm also not ethnically white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant either, and I uh, I don't identify white in that sense at all, um, and I've been discriminated against here tremendously, and that's before I even came out. That's before, because I was different, because I, I've had people tell me, don't talk so loud, you know, or you're too mouthy, or all this, you know, just constant, because they just don't like any kind of, of difference. And it's, it's very, very frustrating to me. Um, 
It has been for a long time. I've told people this, and they, they well, people have gotten mad at me. I did uh, some graduate work at Temple University, and I was in Philadelphia, and I lived in an all-black neighborhood. There were like three of us that were white that, that weren't black that lived in that neighborhood. I had more friends in that neighborhood in the two years I lived there than I've had in Bloomington in 40 years. <laughs> so I think that says a lot. It can't just be, you know, can't just be me, right? can't just be my view on life and my visions on life. When I came here, my house was burned down by the Klan because my roommates were black and white. And I know that's why they burned down. I mean, you know, duh. <laughs> How smart do you have to be to figure that out? Um, so I know that Indiana is just really a hotbed of racism. And Bloomington has got to wake up and realize it. They've got to step out of their comfort zone and realize it and say we need to change things. And I don't know how, many, how you make people do that because I worked for 33 years at IU doing that. And back in the 80s at IU, um, I mean, I, people can tell you I bitched constantly about the lack of diversity training and acceptance and the racism that went on. There was a time when, and I wasn't even in African studies then, when there were a few black students, not very many compared to now, and they came to me because it, would, they, it was a safe place. They came to me and I said, you know, you're from Chicago and I understand the big city and, you know, it, I, how can I explain what's going on? You know, I know how you feel. I know how you feel, but there wasn't any, any help then, none. Just bring people here and dump them and there you go. We're diversified now. We brought in, you know, 200 black students or something. It, it's, it's totally insensitive. And so, I don't know, if this, if this event can open up dialogues, maybe, maybe. I don't have great hope that it'll, I think it'll die down, somebody will do something, fall will come, the farmer's market will be over, and then next year, you know, happen again. So young people need to keep it going. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a big, it's an endless task. Right. And I, I think in terms of support, um, the people who have been boycotting just week after boycotting and encouraging people week after week have been young people, I think. Like, mm -hmm. a lot of petite non-binary people, a lot of petite women, a lot of, we, all, we also have a few people who describe themselves as angry old dykes, which I love. <laughs> um, I yes. have one of, yes, and we have a lovely volunteer in a wheelchair who comes week after week and rolls around and, and hands out flyers. And it's, it's all like these people who are like also like in some ways marginalized are coming together. And then I just don't know, in, term, in IU people are going to come back to school and we're hoping to help have more people on board in that sense. But then the big problem for me is how to get buy-in from the middle-aged kind of white liberals who talk on Facebook a lot about civility or ignoring the problem or hoping that it will calm down. Or it'll just go away. Or the, yeah. like the articles in the paper yesterday, you know, I, 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 I had a little comment in the paper, I don't know if you read it, but I like to write to the paper and bug people. Um, it, uh, some of the comments in the paper, you know, it's just a ruckus right now, and people will calm down, and they, they don't understand it. It's the very core of humanity that, to me, is at stake. The very core of humanity and respect for one another. And, you know, it's not gonna go back People are not going to go backward. All lesbian and gay people aren't going to go back in the closet. All black people are not going to stand down 
from all the, the progress they've made. And, and all Latinos are not going to go back to Mexico, most of them born here. You know, this kind of thing. It's not going to happen. We're not going to go backwards. So how do we keep going forward? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's like a really hard question. In the meantime, um, what are they going to do about this farmer's market? Boy, right, right, yeah. I can't even talk to some of my neighbors about it because they, they don't want to talk about it. Uh-huh. Well, I don't go to the farmer's market. Okay. Well, I don't either, but it's not the point. Right, right. <laughs> I did, like, I did have a brief meeting with, the Cap- with Captain Oldham this morning because I was just talking about, like, protester concerns and stuff like that. And... Um, I was there with a friend, and my friend mentioned, what if we ask the city to, to have a task force to research how to prevent white supremacist actions? And I was, and he was, and then we were like, does the city really need another task force? And it's like, <laughs> I just don't know. Task force only work for a little while. The people that right? come together feel great about it, and you, you know, you, just like we're talking right now, and you walk away and you feel good about that because you've talked with a few people that have like minds and that are you know, fair and caring, but it doesn't ultimately change the big picture. It doesn't ultimately change it. I, don't, I, w- I have often thought, what would I do if I were the mayor in this situation mm-hmm. about this, yeah. this farmer's market? Um, I think there have been governors that have taken a stand against white supremacists. Um, and they get a lot of flack for it, but well, our governor is not going to do anything. I can no. say that. <laughs> it's not my governor. <laughs> it's certainly been the case the the government has uh, investigated white supremacists has mm-hmm. in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, not currently. The federal government is not currently um, investigating white supremacists. Um, it used to be the case that FBI, uh, the FBI went underground mm-hmm. um, and learned quite a lot about white supremacy, um, lots of information. Um, it would seem, right, you'd think that um, this is a space, right, um, meaning the current increase in white supremacy and white supremacists and um, increase in actions by white um, supremacists would be a space for further investigation of yeah, white supremacists. Mm-hmm. But um, congressional act- action stopped it in the content um, in the Obama administration. Wow, that's um, interesting. So, um, but you know. Well, a white supremacist movement, I can see. I mean, they're they're, they're terrified. They're losing like the white dominance. They're, they're afraid that all of a sudden the government won't be white anymore and, and the white people won't be in control anymore. Well, you can, you can see it. Finally, everybody is finally becoming incorporated in, in, in government and in TV shows. There's actually, you know, you can see um, what kind of what this country represents is different faces and different ethnicities and everything. Finally. And that's not all going to turn around. So these people are fighting a losing battle, but a lot of people can be hurt while they're doing it. I mean, look at yeah. the Civil War. And this reminds me of the, the 40s and 50s down south, which I was terrified to do. I was marched in some civil rights actions. But I, I, was, I have to honestly say I was raised in the north and the east, and, and mm-hmm. I was afraid to go down south. I really was. Um, because it, uh, I didn't live down there. If I lived down there, I'd have been in the streets because it would have been my home. But I was kind of afraid to go down there. 
um, so I stayed in D.C. and stuff and, and, and marched and worked with the Black Panthers. But um, it just, something has to be done on these little local levels. Somebody has to take a stand. And it's what you said about them being afraid. Um, someone, I don't know if anyone had a chance to listen to the WFIU noon edition. I kind of tuned in for a bit, and they had someone who was a historian, Elizabeth Mitchell, local historian, and she said she hadn't really known what was going on, but she walked up to Sarah, at the, Sarah Dye at the market on, on Saturday, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, and she said, oh, uh, what are your views? And then Sarah said, oh, I'm a Trump supporter, and I believe that we should close our borders. Well, they and, are closed. And that's, then, that's a silly <laughs> argument. And then she said, and then um, this person said, um, well, what do you feel about the children they're putting in cages? And then Sarah said something, and I'm paraphrasing here. Um, well, I'm more worried about my own children. And so that felt very, uh, very telling. And then she's coming out as like an identitarian mm-hmm. and who's anti-immigration and anti what's going on, like anti-immigration, especially for Latino, Latino Mexican people. and. I do like yeah. to always ask people when they when they are anti-immigration what their heritage is because if no matter what they say they immigrated here. Part I have I have family that were Native American so they didn't immigrate, <laughs> but everybody else and I lost family in the Holocaust so um, you know it's um, I just you know your heritage is not here unless you're Native American 100% it's not here so you know get off it that's what I want to say. But, I, you know, they're terrified. They're terrified. And the fact that they're terrified of black people has always just amazed me. Just amazed me. My best friends have always been black, and I'm not saying that just to be, you know, they always have been the most loyal people I've had in my life. And so <clears throat> it's, uh, I, I, I think we, we should, is there a way to form, not a task force, but to get, like, some of these community gatherings and meetings does that, did that go through the university where you were in Kansas? I know Kansas, I lived in Kansas City, and that's different than the whole state, but because um, the state was, has always been very conservative, and they're still fighting some of the Native American and white wars. Um, but I have a lot of friends that still live there, and they're really hardcore Democrats, so they're, you know, and they're appalled at all this going on, too. But um, was that sponsored by a university? No, it was a it was community a community uh, effort. It was a community based um, effort. Well, it wasn't the university. Maybe pressure can be put on the, the local government here to start having some community gatherings and people speak. The um, <clears throat> the place where I see this most likely in Bloomington, given the organization. Mm-hmm. of Bloomington and the, the, the sort of ways that people mm-hmm. map is I see the Unitarian Church uh-huh. doing something um, like okay. this. I, I, I don't know that community, but that's my mm-hmm. sort of uh, view of what, you know. Uh, I used to know the likely. group, the, the people there. I, I still know a few that are my age that are still there. A lot of them I knew earlier are deceased now. It's, I think it's changed a little bit from what it used to be. They've had some good sermons lately. There was one about white moderate, the violence of white moderates or something that got a good reception. 
Was that presented by white people? Well, Forrest, yeah, Forrest Gilmore. Oh, yeah, well, he's great. He yeah. really is good. He's, he been, is good. Cool. he's been helping yes. a yes. lot. He's cool. He's mm -hmm. definitely cool. Yes, yeah. he is. And so he gave, like, a, so he was like, white moderates, like, you need to step up kind of Well, thing. maybe approaching the Unitarian Church to do something like this. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, you're right. It probably is the most, most open to doing something. Uh, but, you know, the city, the city could sponsor I don't know if anybody will listen to this yeah, podcast, but <clears throat> the there, city could sponsor something. The city is working on, uh, there's a, um, a, a person who's in charge of more community conversation. The family, fa Beverly, yes, the family is in charge of doing outreach, mm -hmm. right? And this is perhaps a traditional um, space for additional at outreach. But what you need is you need an interest mm -hmm. by individuals. Uh, so that people know. will attend. Right, mm -hmm. so that people will attend and, I, and participation and willingness to be you know, engaged by this and caring about this. I mean, the most difficult issue, I think, um, and the um, sense that I get um, that is most disappointing is I don't think that the vast majority of people, and I'm talking about people who would be considered my colleagues mm -hmm. um, and if they you know, care. The, I don't. I don't think they, they care about this. I mean, this is some activists who want to sort of raise a ruckus about this. Yeah, um, and it's like it's a college town, and so there's right. always young yeah, people that right, right, who want to raise um, fuss about this. And since these people don't know well mm -hmm. anybody who's non-white. Mm -hmm. I mean, really know well. Right. They, they can only imagine what my experiences are like. Well, maybe. You know, I'm a big one. Take it to the streets. I've always been a big one on that. I've marched with unions and uh, with, during the civil rights movement and gay rights and feminist rights over the years. I suppose I could muster up some energy to march again. <laughs> um, I, seriously, to get people's attention, to make them think that, no, this is not going away. This is not just a new little student movement here mm -hmm. uh, that are upset about something. And this is not going to go away. I am a student, but it's not a student movement. Right. So many of the kids are out of town. <clears throat> And it's like a lot of people who are like in their 40s and 50s and late 30s. I, I think, think people see me and they're like, oh, it's just that kid. Right. I think it's, a, it's an opportunity. I, I don't know. It's an opportunity to move forward with some action, try to get more attention. I know it's very discouraging and it's like, yeah, right, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it is an opportunity. I mean, I would be willing to show up for some things. Oh, cool. I would. In mind, yes. yes. <laughs> well, I know Carol would, too. She doesn't like to talk much on the podcast, but I know she would. Um, so, well, I think we'll probably, I think we've kind of talked about this about mm -hmm. all that we can um, today, for today. I appreciate you being here, and I have to thank Monica for letting us read her statement, which is very powerful, I think. We need yes. more statements like that from more people. Um, 
So I want to thank you all. Thank I want to thank you. Abby and Janine. Thanks so much thank for you. having me. And this has been our outside view. I hope you enjoyed our conversation, and I hope we made you think about some things, and I hope maybe we can affect some change. <laughs>